Turn with me in your copy of the scriptures to the book of Ruth. We continue in our series of redeeming joy. And uh, we are in this book and we um, have found a little bit of amusement in calling this book by a little bit of a different title and that is the Gospel of Ruth. And this morning as we walk through this chapter in chapter 2, I'd like for you to look and see the foreshadowing of the gospel grace that we find in Jesus Christ. Look for it everywhere. It is, it is, we are given permission to look for the gospel in the Old Testament, by the way. In Luke chapter 24, 44 to 48, Jesus was walking with some, some disciples after the resurrection. And Luke records that Jesus unfolded for them all that the prophets had foretold of who he was and and no doubt some of that had to, had to deal with at least some of the foreshadowing found in this precious book in our Bibles, the book of Ruth. And where we are in the book of Ruth is this second chapter. Elimelech and his family have departed from a famished land of Israel to go to where they should not have gone to, a place of Moab. These people were outside of God's covenant blessing. Elimelech did so likely in an act of rebellion, if not active, then passive, certainly, because the way in which to restore God's favor in the land of Israel was to repent and turn back unto the Lord. The blessings and cursings of the covenant would be involved, and that is, as long as you would serve the Lord and seek Him only as your God, then you would have a bountiful harvest. But if you would forsake God and turn towards the idols of the other lands, then there would be a famine on the land. And Elimelech, instead of repenting, and instead of the people around him repenting and seeking God's mercy, decided to shortcut and find a blessing of God or find his own way in the land of Moab. There with his wife and two sons, they would, his sons would marry. And they would marry two women named Orpah and Ruth. And soon, and not uh, too long after ten years of, of marriage, uh, Ruth and Orpah would become widows, and barren widows at that. Naomi would say to them, return back into your homes. And Naomi would desire to go back to her homeland and back into Bethlehem, which would be her husband's hometown. And Orpah would turn and go towards her family, but Ruth would pledge that she would not forsake Naomi in this desperate time of need. And she would confess that she would pursue after Yahweh. And she would pursue after Israel's God. We don't know how maturing her faith was, but at least her first intent is to now look towards exclusively the God of Israel and learn of who He was. And so she, along with weeping Naomi, would return into Bethlehem and the women would find Naomi in the streets upon her return and they would ask the question, is this, is this Naomi? She seems a little different than the woman who left here years ago. And Naomi's countenance and her testimony was that she was coming to the house that was full of bread and she was very, very empty. She was empty not only materially and relationally, but she seems very empty spiritually. And she says, no longer call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for God has dealt bitterly with me. And no soul would be more sorry than her soul as she would see the familiar surroundings and everything would bespeak of the memories of her husband, of her sons, and of the, of the once enjoyed things of life of Bethlehem. And now she was returning and she had nothing to speak of what the ten years of her life had been like in Moab. We come into Ruth chapter 2 this morning and this is where we, we have, have been as, as, as they have entered into Bethlehem and Ruth is by her side. Follow along with me as we read the entire chapter of Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the rapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings... You have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and take eat of some of this bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, maybe about six gallons. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus says the word of God. May God bless the reading of his word among his people. Would you pray with me as we enter into the word this morning? Spirit of God, take every word and run it into our hearts like we're a burning house. And bring to us the fresh water of Jesus Christ. And bring to us every part of truth and grace and, and gospel hope that is, is in this passage. And even through the foolishness of preaching, may our lives be transformed. Father, in every way, do perfect counsel and perfect work in all of our hearts and let us perceive this one whom we have set our faith upon. And I submit to you as a servant of yours that I would be faithful to proclaim the very word of God. Faithful, first of all, to obey it and to to have it in my own heart. Let it continue the change that it has begun in my heart, firstly. First among any else in this room. Let me faithfully proclaim it like Samuel did and like Moses did and the prophets of old. Father, we pray that this morning Christ would be magnified in his name. We pray. Amen. 
in the Christmas Carol, The Silent Night, wrote, written by Joseph Moore, and um, sung on the Christmas Eve um, in Austria in 1818, the, the words sound like this, and I have a feeling you can almost just hear it, and probably some of you will be humming it, but, but listen to the words as, as there is this anticipation of something great that happens in verse 3, but I'll start in 1. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. Glories stream from heaven afar, heavenly hosts sing alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. The third verse reads like this, Silent night, holy night, Son of God, love's pure light, radiant beams from thy holy face. Can we say it together? With the dawn of redeeming grace. The title of the message this morning is The Dawn of Redeeming Joy. Doubtless, if you have walked through the scriptures for any length of time, you know the end of the story in Ruth. But can you at least suspend your, uh, your anticipation too much, your, your knowledge of what happens at the end of Ruth, and let it just sit in chapter 2 of Ruth this morning, and let it be the dawn of redeeming joy, because this is how the narrator has set it up for us, that we would see that there is a, a we would have this expectant heart, oh, there's this, something's happening here. And there are three prayers in this passage that tell the story of Hesed. And we're, I'm going to use that word, and we introduced that word of the past two Sundays. And that word Hesed is often translated as steadfast love in the book of Psalms, or even mercy throughout the Old Testament. But it really has a plethora of meanings. It, it really is a, a, a really a, an orb of a word. It means covenant loyalty or even covenant kindness. It means a, a commitment that's relational. It, it does mean mercy. It means every bit of steadfast love. And here in our Bibles, in the verse number 20, Naomi uses the word, and it is the word that is translated in our Bibles as kindness, whose hesed has not been forsaken. And really I see that hesed is really the color of this entire chapter. And we're going to divide this chapter up into three Prayers. There are many different ways to divide this narrative, but let's look this morning at three prayers. And it's critical as we read the workings of God in the book of Ruth that we keep our eyes fixed on God himself. We have a tendency to, to sort of glamorize characters. And, and really at the front here, we, even in the first verse, we're, we're brought out this character of Boaz, and then we see Ruth, and our hearts are warmed by these characters. But let's not be distracted and recognize that the true character of, of the book of Ruth is that this is a story about God and His goodness, about His hesed. And the narratives give us this storyline without any commentary. We're just told what's happening. We with biblically informed and theologically shaped minds are, are given the, the opportunity to see how all of these things are unfolding under the sovereignty of God and to, to make notice of the obedience and the response of the hearts of men. But the fact is that these narratives are given to us without any commentary. And a matter of fact, much of the Old Testament is written in such a style that you're just told of what takes place. This person fails. This person obeys. This person goes off track. There was a flood. You know, these different things. But as a redemption story unfolds here in this book, in, the, in a micro-narrative way, as the redemption story unfolds in the family of Elimelech, we find a word that continues to shade the entire book. It's, it's a word that shades the interactions of the entire book. And it shades certainly three different prayers in this. And it, this word, hesed, is a necessary part of what redemption is. Hesed is a necessary part of what redemption is. Redemption is made up in part by the inclusion of this beautiful, beautiful words. Hesed is found more than, translated in different ways, more than 250 times in the Old Testament. It expresses an essential part of who God is. When God appeared to Moses, when he gave him the law the second time in Exodus chapter 34, God described himself to Moses. This was not man's description of God. This was God describing himself, that is, giving his own testimony of himself. 
And it describes himself as being abounding in or filled with hesed. That is love and faithfulness or unfailing love in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the core of this idea means a loyalty of kindness. A loyalty or a faithfulness within the relationship. And so when we find hesed here, and as we see it even modeled out and lived out in in this book of Ruth, we're signaled that something particular and something special is happening. This isn't a a casual or a spontaneous um, situation of hesed going on. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, God tells Moses that he lavishes hesed for a thousand generations to those who love him. And obey his commands. And this trustworthy covenantal love resonates all through the Old Testament and other passages, including the return of Israel back to the promised land in Nehemiah 1.5 after the Babylonian captivity. Also in Daniel 9.4 in the same type of context. But in, in the Bible, this, this hesed describes the mercy and compassion of God. When Moses was interceding on behalf of the people and appealed to God's hesed, he was saying to God, I know this to be true of you in Numbers 14, 18, and 19. The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love that is filled with hesed, forgiving every kind of sin and rebellion in keeping with your magnificent and unfailing love, hesed. Please pardon the sins of this people just as you've forgiven them ever since we left Egypt. Not only is God lavishing and generous in his hesed, but he's also eternal and limitless in hesed. And this stands in contrast to how you and I demonstrate hesed. We are really picky when it comes to showing hesed. Whether stated or unstated and mostly unstated and subliminal, we have checkpoints and measure, measurements for how we are going to pour out hesed. We are very picky and choosy about serving out grace and mercy. This is not like God. This is more like us. And here we find that Boaz describes Ruth's kindness towards him and Naomi as hesed. In, as a matter of fact, I say here, but in the next chapter, we find Hesed just continuing through in every conversation. But the message of the gospel just screams and it whispers Hesed in the salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is rooted in Hesed. And now, as we watch in, in this book, as we watch God's plan for our redemption unfold in this unlikely family, in this unlikely small village, according to Matthew, Micah 5.2, later on from this time period, we're even told that Bethlehem of Ephrathah, for out of you shall be born a son. Out of this unlikely small village and out of the barrenness of women and the barrenness of a pagan woman, a Moabitess, we find the Hesed of God pouring out upon each of these figures. And it's a reminder that God loves Hesed. That God loves His Hesed. It's firstly, Hesed is firstly from Him. It is of no human invention. Any true Hesed is really just a modeling or a pattern or even an outpouring in a believer's life of, of the Spirit's Hesed. And we will find in this passage that we find Hesed in Naomi, and we find Hesed in, in Boaz, and we find Hesed even in Ruth. And in this, we find these prayers. And let's see how God funnels his Hesed to a people who are just living out their lives in fear of him in the everyday life. They're working, they're, they're working themselves out. They're just going about. Ruth is just gleaning from a field, just trying to survive. It is nothing glamorous. Nothing even flannel graph worthy. Just trying to live paycheck to paycheck. Barrenness. Hopelessness. Who would ever write a story about Hesed in such a life? 
God is writing a story of Hesed in the life of every single person whom he sets his Hesed upon. You this morning, as we had alluded to last week, there could be, yet there is not, there could be a book called the Book of J, or the Book of Barb, or the Book of Brad, and it will tell the story of God's Hesed. For in the heart and in the life of every child of God, God is lavishly pouring out and demonstrating. And by the way, he's just begun doing so. His hesed. So this morning, let's look together at what I find to be three prayers that spiritually shape the dialogue in such a way that we must not... Uh, miss out on the fact that God is listening and God is answering in a Hesed way. In verse number four, we find that Boaz enters into the fields that he that he owns and oversees, and as he comes onto the scene, he just greets his workers that the Lord be with you. And this Lord, by the way, capitalized that is the covenant name of the faithful, the Hesed keeping God, Jehovah Yahweh. The Lord be with you. This is the blessing. This is the, the greeting that he gives. And, and listen to his workers as they respond. The Lord, be, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. What a work environment. How many of you would like to work in that type of environment? Don't forget it's out in the field, so. <laughs> but maybe it would be worth it if you had that kind of a boss, right? But in the opening verses of Ruth 2, we find out that our intuition is confirmed. The Lord has returned his favor upon the people in the region of Bethlehem in direct fulfillment of his covenant promises. Naomi had heard the good news that God had returned his favor and that the land was bountiful with grain. And so that was her hope as she moved back towards Bethlehem. And now it's confirmed. Boaz comes out in the field and they're harvesting grain. It is exactly as she had heard. And Boaz seems to be presented to us as one who is, who is probably typical of the kind of person that is in Bethlehem as he is one who has a renewed spirit of repentance and renewal that is found in the hearts and homes around Bethlehem. It is likely that it isn't only Boaz's heart that has been returned back to the Lord in repentance, but that really the the area at at, at least only Bethlehem and maybe all of Israel was in a time where we talked about in the cycles of Judges, we see a true worship of God and then we see an apathy and then we see idolatry and then we see punishment and then we see repentance, and then we see a true worship of God again. We see the cycle over and over and over for 410 years to the book of Judges. And remember, that's where the book of Ruth is, in the book of Judges. So Boaz seems to be typical of the people around who are blessing the Lord. And he is typical of a renewed spirit of repentance. And by the way, how joyful, this is a rhetorical question, how joyful is your heart when you are renewed in your fellowship with the Lord? after having departed from him in in the brokenness of your sinfulness. Does not joy, is not joy restored unto you? Not only uh, as as a wonderful experience in the pleasure of God, but as a a blessing of God saying, "Let, let it be that you would experience joy. And let me encourage you this morning that if you are, that if you are, are on the side of things where your fellowship with God is not right this morning and you're living in, in a known sin and repeating a, a sin, that God has a joy on the other side of your brokenness, on the other side of your humbling sin. He has a joy that replaces the pleasure that you have been enjoying and even the guilt that you have been despairing about. But Boaz is demonstrating this joyful spirit comes bursting onto the scene. And we kind of look at him as, a lot of times we, we think of farmers as being happy men, don't we? I remember working for a farm. Um, my dad put me to work on a farm called Oak Grove in Pennsylvania, and we, we picked corn. I felt like this, just in the heat of the day in July, picking sweet corn by hand. And, and the farmer was fairly happy when we did our jobs the right way. But farmers tend to be happy, especially when there's a great supply of the harvest, Right? So he is, Boaz is very pleased because he is seeing the faithfulness of God being poured into the ephahs, the uh, the vessels. He's seeing God being true to his promise that he will return the blessing when they humble themselves before him. 
And really, as the writer of Ruth brings Boaz before us, we just find him kind of bursting onto the scene, bursting onto the pages, and declaring and, and bringing a joyful declaration of the Lord. We see that this is a function. It functions as a greeting. And, and also, it's a declaration of, that reflects a commitment to Yahweh. The one who says it, the one who is saying this in Boaz, it, is saying with a sincere heart and full of integrity of character. And the bountiful harvest, as we had mentioned, indicates that God has returned with his favored blessing. But we also notice that Boaz has seen to gather around him some God-fearing workers. And, and he's the boss and owner, of course, of the operation. And he seems to have led the workplace in, in a God-fearing workship or worship workmanship. And that is that he's demonstrating, we find here just a demonstration of that common Christian ethos, and that is that, that as we commit our works unto the Lord, our thoughts will be established, and we're able to glorify God in the everyday, in the reaping of grain on a hot day, on the 50th day of the harvest, and it's just grueling, and we're able to worship God in that. We will find then that Boaz will measure up to his declaration. And that's what's being proposed to us, by the way. He's just being told to us, hey, here's this man. He comes on this field. He bursts out with his declaration. Now let's see if he measures up. We all want to know, does someone who speak this way, do they measure up this way? So we're given sort of a signal. Should we evaluate Boaz based upon what he has just said? These are the first words that we have of him. And they tell us, that he is a devout and noble man. And in this work environment that he is serving in, he was modeling grace towards his workers, and he is modeling the true covenant hesed towards the managers in his employ. And since this is how it, it, it was, it's no surprise to us that his workers respond to, to blessing him in response. So as he arrives at the fields, we learn that Ruth is not alone in the fields. She has been gleaning along with some of the other women and also with some men and some other workers, and she's been gleaning along there. We recognize not only is she alone with the fellow scavengers, which was uh, an apportioned and allotted um, requirement by God in the Old Testament law that you would leave the, the, the boundaries of your property for those who are impoverished to be able to help themselves too. We find that Boaz is present, and now let's let's just tune in to a, a, a larger channel here. God is present in this field. And that becomes very evident to us as what unfolds. Interestingly, while the while invoking the blessing of God as he as he blesses his workers and as he looks out upon the field, what's really, really interesting for us to see is that while invoking the blessing of God, Boaz notices that there's a foreigner who's working in his field. While invoking the blessing of God, he notices that there's someone, listen carefully, theologically, who doesn't belong in the blessing of God. And what does he do? Bring her to me. And the second prayer is that this one who is unlikely to receive the blessing of God in verse number 12, now Boaz says, may the Lord repay you. May the Lord bless you. And so number two, the Lord repay you. And so Boaz will, will be the way that the Lord repays Ruth. He demonstrates a biblical hesed as as through his grace and generosity, but also in him biblical hesed, he will become, if you want to say it this way, the incarnation of hesed for Ruth in a very real way, as we know. He is going to become the mercy of God even as he begins to say, I don't know much about you, but may the blessing of God be upon you. 
And so Boaz, calling her daughter, seems to maybe have some age difference there, but is, is not patronizing her. He feels a genuine sense of responsibility for her. And this even uh, reminds us again of the Old Testament law to, to bless the foreigners in your land. And so he really has given himself over to, to the desire of God that God's people really be a people full of the grace of the covenant of Yahweh. So Boaz is demonstrating that he is a thorough, not just knowledge of the Torah and of God's covenant with his people, but he is demonstrating that he has given himself over to the spirit of the Torah, the spirit of love, the spirit of hesed. And so he is, he is feeling a genuine sense of responsibility to her despite her Moabite identity. And like a father, sort of as a protector, he was offering this foreigner protection and provision. So, not only have we seen he gives her instructions to go out into the field and to be protected, but now in the middle of the day there's a meal that's enjoyed by the men and, and the, men, the male workers. And notice this act of kindness at the meal as he invites her to the meal. And by the way, there's no hint of romance in this. And so we can't romanticize this at all. We just let the narrative tell us what it is. And so she eats with him and she eats roasted, roasted grain with him. And, and, and it even indicates here that he even in, in some way serves her, this foreigner Moabitess. He would instruct her to drink from the water that the men would drink from, and this this is the, that the men would draw from. And this was a, a very interesting privilege here because it, the the the, um, the men would draw water for themselves, and the women would draw water for the men, but men would not draw water for women. This would be a, a quite a privilege here for her to enjoy. And, by the way, we don't find any recording of the protest from the men demonstrating again that there seems to be a cohesive, unified spirit of Hesed here amongst the men. I merely say that in suggestion, even though the, the scriptures is silent. But he reinforces her protection in the field once again, assuring her that she can feel safe as she, as she is out in the field. But then also then he sends her home with five to six gallons of grain and by the way, as, as even if you're not a cook, and I'm not, that is enough to last a long time um, in order to feed, just especially just two women, for a very long time. A very, very extremely generous gesture. But I notice in here that God's providence is moving in such a way that there is a, in the providence of God, Boaz's heart is being prepared to act kindly to her. This, by the way, has huge gospel ramifications because we have the moving of the heart of Boaz and then we come to our Bibles and like, for example, in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and we find out that Jesus is the son of David, who's the great-grandson of Ruth and we find out that some of what's taking place here in Boaz's heart is actually in preparation for your salvation. And God is moving in the heart of this man who, who at once was, was, a, was a man who was not walking in fellowship with the Lord, but it, it, over, the, over a course of a period of time, he became broken over his sin and renewed his fellowship with God and received the covenant blessings in return uh, by God in, in the bountiful harvest and, and then is so moved, not only in material faithful ways, but internally and relationally, is beginning to demonstrate that his heart truly is changed to be God-like and and as a true receiver of Hesed, he will not be the end of the Hesed. He will demonstrate that Hesed. And now to someone who does not does not deserve the Hesed. By the way, nobody deserves Hesed. Every single one of us here this morning isn't merely a Gentile. Even if we were a Jew, we would we would still be undeserving of Hesed. But God is moving providentially through the heart of this man to be kind and show this Hesed towards Ruth. And there's. If, if you want to think about it from a human perspective, there is a lot hinging upon this moment in our Bibles. Okay? There's, uh, by the way, there's often times in the Bible, in the Old Testament narrative, when there's a lot hinging upon that for your salvation. Like, let's just take, like, for example, Genesis chapter 9. 
And God looked down upon earth and saw just one righteous man and his family and said, build an ark. There's a lot hinging upon the faithfulness of one man. But it's not a risk because God is sovereign. But here we find Boaz is, is moving towards her in this way and, and he says to her that, that he, he desires that she, she be hidden under the wings of, of Yahweh. And he prays that Yahweh would reward her. And this is a, an, an intriguing prayer because it, it sounds like he's saying that God owes her something. And we just let it sit there. Because in our economy, as we, as we look upon God, we, we recognize that we can, we can look upon God and hold Him true to His promises. And here we find someone who has brought shelter for one of God's people, who has brought love and kindness and hesed towards one of His people. And, and God has indebted Himself in His promises that those who are faithful to Him, that He will reward. And so his desire, Boaz's desire, is that she finds shelter under the wings of Yahweh. And Psalm 91.4 even alludes to this picture of God. And by the way, uh, it, is, it, it even does have some, some ramifications here of, of even a, a, a mother-like picture of God. We don't often, and we don't go there because we don't want to go you know, into error, but, but the, the gentleness and the nurturingness and the... The, uh, the special care of, of a hen to its brood. And, and Psalm 91.4, He will cover you with His pinions and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And Boaz knows God in such a way that he has seen how God can bring someone underneath the personal care and just nurture them where they're at. And where is Ruth at? Ruth is abandoned, alone. Her husband has passed away. She's found uh, company in misery. She's found a foreign land. And now Boaz begins to speak, as it were, some gospel truth to her. You, at one time, worshipped Chemosh. And your people would sacrifice their children to appease his wrath. You have heard Yahweh from Naomi. And through tears she has shown you an imperfect view of who this God is. But now, my daughter, come underneath the wings of Yahweh. And find him to be more than what Naomi has told you. And more than you could ever know. For this is the kind of God you serve. And listen, no gods in any foreign land was known to be a God who loved and nurtured his followers. So now what is happening in Ruth's thinking about Yahweh, no doubt is that she is learning who this God is that she was pledging allegiance to. That he was a God who could be trusted to be approached in hopelessness, in barrenness, in emptiness, in unworthiness. And that not only was he able to be approached, but he welcomed the approach. He welcomed Moabites to come under his wing. And this is Boaz's prayer. Can I say from a devotional thought in this way that, that this can shape some of your prayers for those who are, are far off from God as you pray for them in your own private time, but also if you would have opportunity to pray for them together with them and they're an unbeliever. And you can pray in a way that shapes and speaks into the kind of God you're praying about and introducing to them the thoughts, this God is not like the God you serve. He has no whip. He has no chains. He bore the whip. He bore the cross, the nails, so that you would not need to. Your God, like Chemosh, demands everything from you. This God said, you have nothing to give to me. I give my son for you. And we pray this way 
like Boaz did for Ruth, for those whom we love and those whom we have opportunity to. And we let that prayer shape in them as they hear, this is a God we can pray to that's not like Chemosh, not like the God of this world. And so you think about this. She's hearing a prayer of a Yahwist. That's a word I wanted to introduce to you at some point in this. A Yahwist. A follower of Yahweh. She's hearing the prayer, maybe for the first time, of a blessing in this way. Of someone who is fresh in the joy of God. So the third prayer then, now we find, comes from some unlikely lips. We start to see a little bit of a pulse in the heart of Naomi. And in verse number 20, she recognizes what God is doing. And this is, that is exactly it. Listen, she recognizes now what God is doing. Oh, she was willing to place all the blame on God for the hardship and bitterness that he had dealt her in her life. But now she recognizes not only is God the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. Praise be unto his name. And what relief begins to flow into her soul as she recognizes this is not something that we have constructed. This is not something I had even hoped for. I just thought we were going to eke out an existence in Bethlehem. But blessed be Yahweh because he is demonstrating Hesed. And so Hesed here as she as she recognizes this, it involves the description here would be a gracious loyalty. God is showing his gracious loyalty to this family. Do you recognize that not only does God call us to make a commitment to him, but God has committed himself to us. God has made a commitment to you. His commitment is long-standing. Your commitment, my commitment, is so fickle. It almost is as fickle as the, the, the twinkling of our eye, the, the blinking of our eye. We're, we're just in and out in our devotion to the Lord. But if it were not for the faithfulness and the steadfast loyalty of God to you, you and I would perish. But Jesus says in John 10, 28 and 29, but so secure is the grip of God upon those who have placed their faith in Him that there will be no one who will be plucked out of your hand. And not the, even, the, even the evil one can reach them there. And our salvation is built upon the bedrock foundation of the fact that God is faithful even when we are unfaithful. And Naomi recognizes this. Oh, he has dealt with me bitterly, but but I'm finding him to be faithful. And here she recognizes that Boaz is the embodiment of Hesed. He's the embodiment of Hesed in such a way that he, he is not just favoring man, but he's, he's, she's recognizing that on Boaz's life is the favor of God. She's recognizing not just something horizontal is taking place, that is just merely the, the workings out of someone's favor and kindness, but she's recognizing that God is moving through this, this individual to, to, to rescue her, to fill her from her emptiness. Remember, she is describing herself as empty, ironically, in the place that's full of bread. And now, Ruth has come home with, with maybe quite a few pounds of grain. One commentary said it might have been close to 50 pounds. I'm not sure how it all would work out. But she has come home with armfuls of grain, no doubt. And, and it is a signal you are no longer empty. And it isn't just about grain. And she then identifies Boaz as being a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer is, is many of you have studied the book of Ruth, but it is mainly, it has responsibilities concerning the maintaining of the integrity of the family and its hereditary properties, especially when relatives were in distress and uh, despair and couldn't get themselves out of a crisis. So another family member would kind of swoop in and kind of help, help the situation out. There's five circumstances in the Bible that require the intervention of a kinsman redeemer. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read through the, the verses real fast for the statement. Well, so basically in Leviticus 25 and 35, it's the context for a kinsman redeemer. 
But in Leviticus 25, verse 25 to 30, we learn that a kinsman redeemer is a, is a relative who can buy back property uh, after, after the deceased um, have passed away and an outsider has bought the property. They can buy it back and kind of keep the property in the family. In Leviticus 25, 47 to 55, is they can purchase relatives, uh, the freedom for relatives who were sold off into slavery, that is indebtedness and, and, um, unto someone else. They can buy their freedom. They can redeem them. So they're redeeming land and they're redeeming people. Leviticus 35, 12, 19, and 19 through 27, they can track down and execute murderers of their relatives in, in a righteous way according to the law. The fourth way in which a kinsman redeemer works according to the law is receiving restitution of money on behalf of the deceased victim of a crime. That is, that someone has committed a crime and there's supposed to be some sort of reparations or restitution according to that crime, so then the kinsman redeemer can receive that recompense, that redemption. And fifthly, according to Job 10.25 and Psalm 119.154, a kinsman redeemer ensures justice in a lawsuit involving a relative. That is, they can stand up with their relative in a court of law and, and help them work through that. The fact is that the conditions of, of Ruth and her situation don't necessitate a marriage. There was none of this that would involve Boaz having to marry her. She was the heir of, of a deceased relative, not even a brother. And so we recognize this. We also recognize that Boaz did not live in the same home as Elimelech. He was a distant relative. We recognize that legal proceedings of Ruth involved more distant relatives than the immediate brothers. We also recognize that it is Boaz that's enacting this sense of justice, this sense of setting things right and not Naomi or Ruth. And we also recognize that it will be a new line of sons from Boaz, not from Elimelech. And so this will end the line of Elimelech. We find in Boaz that even if Boaz does not follow the letter of the law, which in this case it does not appear that he, he will need to in order to marry Ruth, he certainly captures the spirit of the law. He combined the spirit of redemption and the spirit and the, the idea of producing progeny. So by the end of chapter 2, after Naomi and Ruth are just buzzing about this, and can you hear them? I mean, just chatterboxes in the kitchen, in the dining room, just telling about all this, and Naomi's getting more information and finding this out and trying to like take Ruth by the shoulders. Do you realize whose field you were in? And what has he done? You ate lunch with Boaz? By the end of chapter 2, uh, she has been working in the fields probably some six to seven weeks, probably from late April until early June. And she ate a meal with him at lunchtime one time, but it's not mentioned that she continued to do this. Likely she continued to draw water from where the men did and, and you know, gathered the things. But, but really it's just week, day in and day out for probably six or seven weeks. And we're told of no further contacts that Ruth has with Boaz. We just find this one instance. And in this we find really a full cycle. Naomi and Ruth returned to Bethlehem to be filled. And now Ruth will become the one that God uses in this way to fill Naomi during those six and seven weeks' time. Not quite Boaz, but more nearer, it'll be Ruth that fills Naomi. Such an unexpected thing. Ruth will fulfill her pledge to Naomi in the day in and the day out of those weeks. And it'll come full cycle. And so now they're in a regular routine. And with Ruth, Ruth becomes the breadwinner as the young and strong body likely of the home. And at the end of chapter 2, we're left to wonder what will happen to Naomi's dream? What will happen to her, to her dream of having children and of living in a land where, where she is blessed by Yahweh? Well, only time will tell. And you're welcome to read ahead, of course, as I've, we've been admonished to read this book several times already this month. But in the foreshadowing of God's gospel grace, in the foreshadowing of God's gospel provision, we can't help but see the foreshadowing of our Savior and God. I don't think it's a stretch to say, can we see overtones, can we see pictures of Jesus in how Boaz interacted with Ruth? See how Boaz invites Ruth to come and dine. Like Jesus would say, take and eat. A table is prepared before you. 
Boaz invites and tells Ruth, go and, and find in the field everything you need and more. So too, Jesus bids us to enjoy the harvest from what He Himself has sown. Jesus sown the harvest, the, the seeds of grace, the seeds of, of the pleasure of the Father. And now the fruits have been ripened. The fruits are there for us to enjoy where we were not able to sow. All we were able to sow is the deadness of our self-righteous works. But Jesus sowed into the gospel ground and into the tomb the righteous works that would please the Father perfectly. And now He says, enjoy the rewards of the harvest of what I have done. Boaz entreats Ruth to enjoy the protection underneath his managers and and the male workers that none of them will, will come near her and threaten her safety. And so too, Jesus bids us to be secure under His protection. Jesus bids us to be nurtured and comforted and cared for And Jesus bids us to enjoy the reward that He has won. And Jesus is kind to us. Jesus is kind to us. He is strong and kind. The Gospel of Christ is bursting with hesed. For those who will come, they will be welcomed like Ruth and covenanted with by the Redeemer. It was necessary for Jesus to be born of a woman so that He could become our kinsman redeemer. We will be developing this truth further in the next chapter, in next Sunday, Lord willing, but Jesus would be born of Mary so that He could become our Boaz-like kinsman redeemer. And under the law, you and I are all condemned and so in also not only in the spirit of the law, but also in the letter of the law, we are completely undone. But yet Jesus stepped in. And He bought us back from the law's righteous demands, granting us the full rights of of being citizens, of being partakers, of being harvesters, of being sons and daughters. And yes, even He has won for us. He has won for us that we would become His bride. That we would become the heirs of Jesus and all of His standing and all of His wealth. And how do we respond to Hesed? How do we respond to such lavished kindness and faithful covenantal love? How did Ruth respond? Knowing full well of her unworthiness, but beginning to understand the nature of this new God to her, Ruth dove in headfirst into Hesed. And like we should, like her we should, We should honor God by responding. We should humble ourselves to receive mercy. You see, Ruth took and Ruth told. And it became known that God was faithful. The gospel of Christ is bursting with hesed. In the scriptures, God says, like Boaz did to Ruth, God says to you and I, come to the table. Gather from the bountiful fields. Enjoy my love. It's all there. Be full where you once were empty. Let's pray.